I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Hello and welcome to the best in the world. It's nearly Christmas time. Merry Christmas to all of you listening to this show. Also in this period, it is my birthday. I just celebrated my birthday, had a fantastic time. I treated myself by buying myself a bed. You know, I've been listening to all of these previous episodes on The Best in the World with Richard Parr, and so many of them have talked about the benefits of sleep, including this week's guest. And so I thought, look, I need to sleep properly. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot to learn when it comes to beds, of all the different types of springs you can get, the different mattresses, what type of base it goes on. I got a divan, by the way, different sizes. There's now like... I think it's like super king size bed but queens don't exist it's all very confusing but i managed to get a bed in at the end even though we couldn't get up the stairs bit of a nightmare but it's all sorted now lovely headboard all good gonna get some great nights sleep and that will help me improve my everyday life because that's what we do on this show we learn from the very best also to celebrate my birthday I went to see the brand new Star Wars movie, Rogue One, which I pretty enjoyed. I thought it was much better than the Star Wars movie, which came out last year, which I was pretty disappointed with. Thought it was a bit of a ripoff of The New Hope. Let me know, what do you think of the new Star Wars movie? I would love to get your thoughts on the Twitter at Richard underscore par. Well, it's funny we mentioned Star Wars because this week's guest nearly trained to be an astronaut. He could have been the next Tim Peake, but he didn't. Instead, he went on to become a three-time world champion in canoe slalom. I'm delighted to have this week on the show the British canoe slalomist David Florence, also a three-time Olympic silver medalist. Fantastic chat with him. As well as being an astronaut, we talk to him about studying mathematics with physics. We also talk about sleep. We talk about a whole range of different things, and it's a fantastic interview with David. It'll be coming up very shortly on the show. Just a quick reminder that our podcast is sponsored by Audible. If you'd like to try out their service, they offer a 30-day free trial and a free download as part of that package. All you've got to do is go to audibletrial.com forward slash best. That's audibletrial.com forward slash best. Check out their service. It would be great if you do it because 
by helping yourself, you're also helping me here out at the best in the world. All right, let's get to it. Let's get to my interview with David Florence. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. David Florence, world champion, canoe slalom athlete. Welcome to the best in the world. So great to have you on here. So much to talk about, particularly about being a a canoe athlete, a canoeist. But uh, there's a lot of interesting things I found out about you. And and crucially, are you happy to do this interview in English rather than Russian? Because I I believe you learned Russian before the the Beijing Olympics. Is that true? And, And do you remember much now? Uh, I remember very little. Uh, it would be a pretty short interview if we were to do it in <laughs> Russian. But um, yeah, I, I did. I did make a start to learning. Yeah, and and that was part of applying to be a, become an astronaut as well. Yeah, well, um, yeah, it was. I guess in the build up in two thousand eight, um, European Space Agency uh, opened up applications uh, to anyone really um, who wants to apply for 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 posts as astronauts. Uh, one of them, which which Tim Peake obviously uh, has now taken. Um, and yeah, I just thought, well, you know, if you don't apply for these things, you'll never get it. I had some of the, the things that sort of things I thought they were after. And, uh, unfortunately I, I, <laughs> I was not successful obviously, but, um, uh, it was, it was just before the, the Beijing games anyway. So I was, I was on to compete in my first Olympics. So, uh, I mean, you know, it's, uh, it was one of these one in a million sort of things, but, uh, if you don't apply, you know, you're certainly not going to get it. Exactly. So it could have been you up there. Instead, you've had an amazing career as a canoeist, winning three world titles, going to three Olympics, winning silver medals, having an absolutely amazing canoeing career so far. So let's start at the beginning. Let, let's start how, how you first got into the sport and, and, and first started to really embrace it and love it. Um, yeah, well, I'd already been into quite a lot of sports quite fanatically for sometimes you know very brief periods of time sometimes for a year and um I guess canoeing was the one that stuck my um my dad and and my mum's uh, brother uh both done quite a lot of canoeing when they were at school um and and competed in canoe slalom and, and actually both been Scottish champions themselves when they were when they were um very young um my dad had kind of given it up when he went you know at 18 to go and, and work and um We'd always had an old canoe down the side of the house, but it never taken us until we got to, I think, uh, probably I was about 13 years old. My, uh, my brother's a couple years younger, Fraser. Um, and my, my uncle um, had some canoes at, at the beach, a family day at the beach. And, you know, we just asked, oh, could we go out in those? And, and dad took us out one at a time and we just really enjoyed it. And um, obviously my dad having done a bit meant he could take us. And then a friend took us on some rivers once we built up to that. And we joined a canoe club and then we found another canoe club that did um canoe slalom and, and went to a novice um event in, in canoe slalom for our first competition and it was just you know i'd always been really into sport and um i was you know fanatical about lots of things initially and, and it was no different with canoeing and i guess it just st- stuck and it was one that i seemed to have a bit of a a little bit of a talent for perhaps but it can be quite a scary sport compared to many of the others. You know, in, in football, the worst you can get is a is a kick or an injury. Well, I guess in in canoeing and canoe slalom in particular, you've got outside factors which you can't control. W- were you always a, a kind of brave person? Uh, I mean, to some degree, I, I'm, I was never, um, 
you know, massively put off by um, sort of risk factors and in, in things. But uh, I definitely remember, you know, when I first start canoeing, it is is it can be very very scary when you're um, in a boat with a spray deck you have to release and you've got to get out and um, you know on on rough white water. Yeah, I, I remember you know really thinking this is so scary. I don't know if I can if I can do this and you know fear of drowning and things. But it, it seems a long long time ago now mm-hmm. and. Uh, not many occasions now when when you get a bit nervous on the water but it does does still happen uh every now and then have you had many injuries through through canoeing have you had many times where you, you did fear for your life uh no i mean i've had a you know a couple of uh nasty uh swims as we call it when you you know capsize and for whatever reason you can't manage to right the boat again and you have to then get out and of course when you're at quite a high level um it's normally a really long time on and you might already be really out of breath and tired when it happens uh on on a big section of of white water um when you're a novice and you're just expecting to have to get yourself out of the boat when you capsize you obviously do it immediately so you don't run out of breath but um for us often it's it's an absolute last resort when you eventually say oh my goodness i'm actually going to have to get out here um but that's not happened for a few years, thankfully. Hmm. Um, and in terms of injuries, I've been 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 really lucky. A lot of guys in our sport do end up with shoulder dislocations. Um, thankfully, um, so far, very little to speak of in injuries for myself. Is that normally the the most tired part of your body, your shoulders? Yeah, I mean, I think often it's it's more, I guess, sort of serious trauma uh, rather than you know a sort of injury that's built up from repeat action. Um, it's because you know you're on such a a powerful dynamic uh, environment being on the white water that you make a little error and you 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 suddenly you know flip one way or the other and you try and support it or you can catch the bottom and you know you're able to you're used to putting a lot of force through the blade and and sometimes it's just too much and too sudden in the wrong direction and uh, the weak point can be your shoulder and of course yeah ends up dislocating your shoulder Mm. So you, you you grew up, you started doing canoeing, and then you went to university, and you went to the University of Nottingham, and um, well, you studied mathematical physics. Now I studied mathematics, and that was difficult enough, but mathematical physics that that sounds like something even more crazy. Um, how were you <laughs> able to manage both studying a, a subject quite as difficult as that and canoeing and training all at the same time? Uh, I mean, there were times when I found it hard, actually. Um, I think at first I struggled a bit, uh, first couple of years. Um, I actually ended up failing my second year altogether. And thankfully, you know, went back begging to university to let me reset and try again. And uh, found myself by the end of university getting the hang of it and uh, and ended up coming out with quite a good degree. But, um, you know, initially, you know, I was good at maths and physics at school and I just wanted to go to uni and I was desperate to go to Nottingham because that is where the National Water Sports Centre was. And at the time I lived in Edinburgh, basically training most of the time on a canal, which, you know, if you want to try and be the best in the world, there's there's no way you can possibly do it without, you know, training on a good whitewater environment day in, day out. So um, for me, it was it was more about living in Nottingham and training than, than necessarily going to university. University is just something I guess I'd always thought I would do and and for many people at the time that was the route to move somewhere to train um you know not quite full time but but have a lot of time to be able to train around your studies um and yeah it's I I guess like a lot of things it was a bit of a learning process and I eventually got um got um you know got the hang of of managing my time a bit better and and I did go part-time in the end for my last two years because by that time I was training pretty seriously and canoeing and, and traveling a bit as well. I'm going to come back on to that in just a moment, but you said there 
if you if you want to become the best in the world, you've got to go to somewhere like Nottingham. Where right now would be the best place in the world for any ambitious young canoeists to go and learn and train? Uh, well, at the minute, in in I mean, say in the world, um, I think it possibly is one of the best in the world. But uh, you know, it's it's a sport that's pretty driven by competing for your your home nation um, for, at the Olympic Games. So if you're British uh, at the minute, you know, we're all based down in Lee Valley, which is where the course they built for the London 2012 Olympic Games, uh, and it's an absolutely incredible training environment. It's a fantastic whitewater course, undoubtedly one of the best in the world. Um, but you just got a lot of um, you know really driven athletes. Uh, professional athletes based at the same place with a really good um, ethos and a really great setup with coaching staff um, just you know exactly the sort of environment that that you want for um, for trying to you know drive success in in, in sport mm. let's just go go back to the to the physics bit for a second I've got, I've got two two questions related to that one you, you said after you failed you then changed things and you were able to to complete it what did you do differently was it just working harder was it getting a tutor what, what kind of things did you have to change to, to your life to be able to uh, to succeed at that well it was quite interesting actually because it, it came at a time that I made a big sort of change in in my canoeing as well um, the, fir- the first time I started doing really well at university um, I'd sort of you know I'd been training really hard and I think I had a lot of uh, drive and commitment to put in the hours and things. But in my canoeing, there was probably something I was missing as well a bit in terms of um, the ability to control my emotions um, and to focus on the things within my control. I would get a bit caught up in competing with other guys, get frustrated and angry at making mistakes. And um, it kind of all came to a head um, when I, I guess I thought I had my first chance to go to the Olympic Games in 2004 in Athens, um, or you know, at least was one of the guys in the running. And I uh, I really, really threw away any chance with a, an absolutely abysmal performance at, at a crucial race and, uh, you know, gave up completely during the run. Um, and that caused me to, you know, have to go and take a serious look at, at what I needed to, to work on to, to stop something so catastrophically um, uh, bad happening again. And um, I guess I, I just found myself, um, you know, working a lot on on just focusing on my own performance and things within my control. And and uh, and alongside that, I found myself not feeling uh, the need to try and try and do everything um, to such a ridiculous extent, but to to be able to compartmentalise my life a little bit more. I found time for a bit of a social life at uni. Um, when I was at training, it was absolutely uh, spot on and giving it my all. But you know, I found time to schedule in in working for uni as well, and and sort of everything in my life went went much better over about a period of a year. Uh, I was yeah a, b- a big turning point in in my career in sport, but uh, also in in lots of things in uni and and personal life and everything. Mm. Now my physics is about as good as force equals mass times acceleration. That's kind of all I kind of really remember. Was there anything in particular from the mathematical physics that actually helped you um, technically at all as as a canoeist? No, I mean I've been asked that quite a lot of times and. Uh, no, in terms of specifics, um, I mean, I think the, the exam I did best in ever was cosmology, and uh, there's there's not a lot of that you can apply directly to canoe slalom. But um, I think having that sort of analytical uh, mindset for me personally has been one of probably my strong attributes in in not just doing my training, but how I think about how to improve at the sport and how to train smarter, how to uh, get more of, of each session, how to um push forward the skills in the sport um and just having that that analytical way of thinking about things i think has helped me a lot 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The Best in the World Podcast with Richard Parr. More with David in just a moment, but I just want to tell you that today's show is also brought to you by Sportachino, the sports breakfast show that I currently host on Facebook Live, Periscope, and on YouTube. Please go and check out those pages. It's called Sportachino, S-P-O-R-T-U. Double C-I-N-O, taking a little break over Christmas, but it will be returning back bigger and better than ever on January the 9th, 2017. Don't miss it. Facebook.com forward slash Sportachino. Like the page and watch live every single weekday morning from 8 a.m. GMT. We cover all ranges of topics when it comes to sports, health and fitness. That is Sportachino sponsoring today's Best in the World with Richard Park. All right, let's get back to it. Let's get back to my interview with David Florence. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Then in 2008, you did reach the Olympic Games in Beijing. You got silver in the in the C1. How was that whole experience for you? Oh, it was incredible. Um, you know, now it's having been to three Olympics and won a few medals. It, it not that it seems more normal, but um, you know, certainly the first time to go to an Olympic Games was just unbelievable. Something that I couldn't quite believe I'd actually achieved. Um, I was probably a little bit of a late starter to the sport and, and and a long way behind the curve of of um, you know sort of peers my own age who who were expected to go on and achieve great things I was never one of those um, until I got pretty close to it um, so just to be there at all and then you know I knew I was in that handful of guys who if they got it right on the day could be on the podium and um, 
yeah, to win silver and actually, you know, to come so close to the gold as well was was an absolutely incredible experience and yeah, one of the one of the best uh, best days of my life. And then after that, you decided to move into to, into doubles, uh, into the C two. I don't know why I called it doubles, but it's a C two. Yeah, no, um, I mean we refer to it as doubles. That's okay, fine. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, when it comes to all of these things with canoeing, I wouldn't say that I'm an expert. That's why I'm speaking to yeah. you, the best in the world. <laughs> um, and yeah, you, you moved to C two, and again, silver in London, silver in Rio. Uh, what are the main differences for those who don't know between? Uh, um being by yourself and being in, in in a double like what what type type of different things do you have to do in training what other things do you have to really think about yeah well for me um so i i took up um yeah the canoe doubles alongside still doing the, the singles as well um and and they are different skills there's obviously a huge crossover you couldn't get such a high level so quickly but um but they're not something that you can just generically train for. So every training session, I'm either training for the singles or the doubles. It's it's very different, you know, because you're not just going in a straight line. It's it's not like um, rowing where you're doing exactly the same stroke in singles or doubles. It's it's actually doing very different types of strokes and very different um, uh, lines around the gates and and skills to to get quickly around the around the gates. So um, I mean, the biggest part of it is actually learning to work together with someone. Um, more than as an individual it's it's oftentimes it's more about um how well you you time laying down the power between you and time the and the positioning of the strokes on the boat than actually just how how strong and powerful you are as individuals um so yeah learning to work with someone else is is a massive um difference in it and um you know that's something that takes a long time it's not you know in 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 some sports like like rowing which i guess maybe a bit better known people you know, might switch. They might only choose who's paddling in, in which boats, whether you're in the four, the eight or the two, you know, they can choose that, you know, a few months before major competition. Whereas, you know, most of the C2 guys have the same partner their entire canoeing career and, and certainly train for uh, a long time together before they would have, have a chance of being at the top, top level in the world. Mm. And so in London, you, you got the silver medal. Did home advantage help at all? Yeah, I think... I think so. It's, you know, it's a sport where it is very on the day and, um, you know, the top guys in the world will, will do fantastically well one weekend and, and be nowhere the next just because um, such small errors actually have such a, a huge difference on the, on the outcome, on the result. Um, but, yeah, I think if you look a, across, um, you know, a normal year when, when you see – you know, we have um, maybe five World Cups in a year, World Championships, European Championships, and and generally you do see the home nation does slightly better at, at home. And I think a big part of that is is actually just knowing the water better. Mm. Um, you know, each course is is unique. Um, the features of the water are unique, and you know, it takes you know days, uh, you know, years of 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 day in day out on that water to really learn the little intricacies of it better than anyone else. And um, I think that that's that's possibly more of a factor than you know home support or anything like that mm. well it's interesting that uh formula one drivers now play the computer games because they've got so good at the courses it's unfortunate that they can't do the same for you do you have like videos or anything like that where you can look at the course in a bit more depth um i mean it's not really looking at it it's it's a case of getting out there and and, and practicing on it and um you know, obviously, with you know, like you, you referred to a Formula One track, that that track is is 
is is the same. Um, whereas we don't know until the night before where we have to go on the river. Um, and you know, there's an infinite number of possible gate combinations, and and just exactly where you put put a gate uh, in the river can can change how how you need to go about it and and what you need to know about that water. And um, it really is is more of a feel thing than a uh, a knowledge that you can you know express in words. Um, so it's it's a case of just drilling it time and time again on the water. Well, you certainly seem to enjoy the water in Prague in 2013, where you got gold medals in both the C1 and C2. What do you think, was there anything you did differently from the London Olympics, where you got a silver to get the gold in the World Championships? And, and was there anything about the conditions which really suited you there? Um, it's hard to know. And I mean, I can only really give my own personal opinion and, and others would probably disagree, but um, I actually think there there is a bit of an element of 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 luck as to when you perform well. You know, if you're one of the best in the world, um, on average, you will probably perform better, you know, than the other guys. But you will still, you know, finish middle of the pack one day, finish on top another. And um, the fact that it was it was at the World Championships there rather than the Olympics the year before, I I don't actually think there was any specific great reason. It was just, you know, one of those weekends where everything went fantastically well for me. Oh, oh, that's great. How, how did it feel when, when you won that first gold? Uh, oh, incredible. Um, I, you know, when I was, when I, when I was younger, I, I actually dreamt of becoming world champion more than, um, Olympic champion almost, um, when I was first getting into the sport because, um, our sport hadn't been in the Olympics for quite a lot of years and, and the world champions were people who, who'd been looked up to certainly in, you know, the eighties, Richard Fox, um, was a Brit who was five times world champion and still, you know, revered as one of the most successful canoe slalomists ever um and 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 also the world championships for us is is a more competitive event there are uh, three boats from every nation competing um when you get to the olympics there's only generally speaking one with a few minor complicated exceptions um only generally one boat per nation so um ah oh, yeah i just i remember i just could not believe it that I'd, you know i've been to so many world championships knowing that I was in with a shout, I'd, I'd won other races, World Cups, which were just just as high quality start lines. And to get it right on that day and, and just put in one of my best runs ever. Um, uh, even, even after the race, I remember, because I had, I had a race the next day as well. I still had the, the canoe doubles. I won my, my first um, race of the weekend was in the, in the canoe singles, the C1. And I remember even just lying in my bed that night and uh you know trying to get an early night to to go to bed for for racing the next day and just every now and then just fist pumping in the in the room <laughs> on my own thinking i cannot believe it i'm world champion unbelievable i've done it mm. is there is there anything you normally do to calm yourself down before a big race when when you do have all this going through your mind and you know you need to sleep you know you need to rest do you have any routine or process you go through oh. No, I mean, I'm very fortunate. Sleeping is something I'm very, very good at. <laughs> uh, I don't have any problems with that. Uh, I think there's, there's been summers where uh, flying all around Europe and I've, I've barely been awake for 10 minutes of the time we've spent on planes all summer. Um, but, it, you know, in terms of before a run, um, yeah, I think routine is a big part of it. Um, it's I don't have any superstitions, but um, in, a, in a lot of ways, the superstition is no different to just having a routine, something that you're familiar with, something you're used to, um, that, that I guess, 
doesn't um, let you get carried away with a sense of occasion or, or it being something different or you having to do a different task to usual. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot lot I do on race days in terms of, of the timing of things and knowing, um, you know, that I go and walk the course in this certain way, that I discuss it with my coach in this way, that we go and look at video um, before we go and do that, that I warm up, uh, what my warm up contains how long before the run I do it and all these things and it just it gives you a sense of familiarity um that's not to say that I don't end up you know feeling nervous on the start line or have doubts or or things like that I, I do sometimes and that's quite natural and you know I've had them before I've had some of the best results in my career and um and I actually having had that is something that's quite good because because other times if you do have them it can remind yourself that well I felt a little bit like this before I won the world championships for mm-hmm. example uh, sometimes I think nerves are, are a good thing because if you're not nervous, it doesn't. It sometimes means it's not important to you. Um, in in 2015, you then retained your uh, C1 title, I believe, at the World Championships in London. Was there any added pressure on you going in as the defending champion? Um, well, actually, there had been a World Championships in between those two. Ah. Um, so we have three years of World Championships. So uh, regrettably, I wasn't actually defending champion because I'd, I'd, I'd missed the one previously. But um, nevertheless, you know, obviously going there as someone um, on a home course um, who, who, you know, has won the World Championships in the last couple of years, there there is expectation on you to do well, uh, especially on a home course. Um, but I think, I mean, the biggest thing that added huge pressure there was, was you know, for us, the Olympic Games is a very big deal. And um in terms of a sporting achievement to win the worlds is is phenomenal but um just getting to go to the olympic games is something so much more you know it's 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 so much more of this grand spectacle and you go and you become part of of one team gb with all these other athletes from all these other sports and there's you know so much hype and and excitement and other things surrounding it and uh it's it's such a special event to compete at that um you know, desperately, desperately for the the four years since London wanted to be in Rio, and and in our sport where where by and large only one boat per nation is going, that's um that's a huge ask, even if you're very very successful. So um, as it was at the World Championships, um, the two younger guys uh, in in the team, um, the two Brits that is, were also in the in the final, um, so ten boat final, and it's only your final run that counts by that stage, um. I was the last of the three of us to go off in that that final running because it goes in reverse order of how you've done in, in the previous stages. Um, I'm, I'm one of the young lads, uh, Ryan, a guy I train a lot with, um, good guy, um, was actually sitting in a position where he was going to win a medal at the World Championships. Um, and that for me was you know phenomenal pressure because um, not just was it the World Championships and the Home World Championships, but it also um, was part of our selection for who would be the Olympic boat. Um, so I was starting the start line knowing um, that if I didn't win a medal at the World Championships better than than bronze um, and beat Ryan, who had a fantastic run that I almost certainly, it, it, but by that stage, you know, the, the way the point system worked, it would be almost um, impossible for me to go to the Olympic Games. Um, so, yeah, that was definitely very, very stressful and huge amount of pressure. And I was, you know, phenomenally pleased not just to, to win the Worlds, but to win it under that pressure and to... to to do what I needed to do to get to Rio. Yeah, um, and I realised quite how competitive it is. We had Etienne Stott on a previous podcast quite a while ago, and you know he won gold in London, but he didn't qualify for Rio. That just shows quite how good the the British team is and how competitive it is right now. Yeah, 
David, it's been so great to talk to you. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. Just before we go, could you tell us how we can continue to follow you on Twitter, on social media, and everything related to that, and also anything else you'd like to bring up at the end of this show? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, I mean, um, you know, hit me up on Twitter or Instagram, at David underscore Florence. Also got a website. If you go there, you'll you'll find the links to any of that stuff, davidflorence.com. And... um, yeah, thanks for having me on. It's uh, it's been uh, nice to have a bit of a bit of a chat about about my uh, sporting career. Not just a sporting career, an amazing career, David Florence. Thank you for being on today's show, and thank you for being the best in the world. Thank you very much. Cheers. The best in the world podcast with Richard Parr. Well, as I mentioned in the interview there, I have interviewed a canoe slalomist before. Go back and listen to my chat with Etienne Stott. Really interesting chat with him. Got on very well with him. That's on all of the archives. You can find them on iTunes, Stitcher, also on the website richardparr.net. All of the previous podcasts are there. We've done lots of other rowers before, such as Heather Stanning and Mahe Drysdale. Perhaps go back and listen to them. And there's lots of other interesting guests we've had on before, such as Natalie Coglin, such as Veronica Campbell-Brown. All different sports, from rugby to cricket to football, it's all been covered on The Best in the World with Richard Parr. Please go back and listen to them. Also, if you get a moment, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. I would really, really appreciate it. If you've got any questions for me, get in contact with me on Twitter at Richard underscore Parr and also like our Facebook page, Best in the World with Richard Parr. All right, I hope you have a wonderful Christmas. I will be speaking to you again before the new year. We've got one more podcast to bring out still to come in 2016. That'll be out next Wednesday like we are every single week. Thanks for listening. I've been Richard and you've been listening to The Best in the World. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.